Welcome listeners to a brand new bonus episode of Oh My Word Podcast. And today we have a really special treat because for the first time ever on this podcast, we have Phil Hans, never had him before, but also he's an editorial cartoonist. How cool is that? And also, just to give a quick shout out, we found Phil through Lee Rubin, who we spoke to probably a couple months ago. So thank you to Lee. And Phil, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me on. I'm very excited to be here. Lee's a good friend of mine. We've done a lot of work together, collaborating during presentations. And I've actually given him some cartoon ideas. He's given me some cartoon ideas. So any friend of Lee is a friend of mine. Hooray! If people want to look it up, Lee had sent me a couple links of presentations from YouTube that you guys had done together. They are up there on YouTube for those who want to go check out, go down the rabbit hole. There's much more to see on this. Lee and I have done a couple of presentations. We call them our cartoon mashups, where we present a cartoon and then and then we, we sort of rip off of each other. We've both been drawing for a long time and have a large body of work, and it's amazing how often my political cartoons collide and work off the same topics that his gag cartoons work off of. Yeah, I think he chooses sometimes to be... I don't know if I want to use the more subtle about it, but maybe less explicit because he's not specifically writing political, and you don't have to have that subtlety because that's what you're doing. Yeah, I'm not accused of being subtle very often. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, so just to, whatever amount of clarity we could give to this, that you call yourself an editorial cartoonist versus a political cartoonist, but what exactly is it that you do, or why would it maybe differ from being a political cartoonist? Just to give a framework of what we'll be talking about. I don't have a, a crystal clear answer to that. All I know is that, you know, the terms are often used interchangeably, and my cartoons, I, I guess I use the term editorial cartoons. My cartoons always appear on the editorial page of, of a newspaper, mostly the Wisconsin State Journal in Madison, Wisconsin here, but I'm syndicated across the country, and the cartoons appear on the editorial page. Um, and, you know, sometimes the cartoons aren't always political. Sometimes I'm commenting on social issues or something that's going on in our schools. Today, I'm actually in the process of drawing a cartoon. University of Wisconsin Badgers uh, men's basketball team just won the Big Ten title last night. I was actually at the game, and I'm drawing a cartoon about that today. Oh, wow. And that's not about politics at all, but it's something that I'm commenting on, something that's happening in our community, and it's of interest to our readers. So maybe editorial cartoonist is a little bit of a broader term than political cartoonist, because while most of what I do is hard-hitting politics, sometimes I, I venture into areas that are a little less hard-hitting and, and a little lighter and, and funnier. Drawing the Badger's mascot is always fun for me. So. Uh, okay, yeah. Just to kind of go back to the beginning, obviously speaking from your particular you know, journey, but how does one become a editorial political cartoonist? 10-year-old you was like, I know what I want to do. I want to draw cartoons that are editorial. Like, how did you even get here? Uh, that's not what I did as a 10-year-old. As a 10-year-old, <laughs> I wanted to be, well, actually it's a little bit later. I, I've always liked drawing, but I remember being distinctly 15 years old and reading a Calvin and Hobbes book and saying, wow, that looks like an easy job. I want to be a cartoonist just like the guy that does Calvin and Hobbes, Bill Watterson. At that moment, the bug sort of bit me, as it, as it were, and I started drawing, started working on, on creating comics and comic strip characters, and I just sort of happened to a local newspaper where I lived in outside of Detroit in a town called Gross Point, which is the home of, have you ever seen the movie Gross Point Blank? It's about that town I grew up in. But the Gross Point News was looking for a cartoonist. I think I was 17 years old and was like, hey, I want to be a cartoonist. And they gave me a shot. I had to sort of learn on the fly how to be an editorial cartoonist or a political cartoonist. 
to comment on, on local issues. And then after a while, I started to fall in love with the idea of being able to use both sides of my brain. I could be really analytical and understand complex policy, and then I got to be artistic at the same time and draw about it. So it was sort of a natural fit for me, letting me do some more intellectual work and artistic work at the exact same time. That's really cool, but especially because I think a lot of people, you think of, I'm guessing it's a small town newspaper. Is that the right kind of assumption? Like you'd call it a small town newspaper where you got your start? Yes, it was a weekly newspaper with some hard-hitting news about people's flower garden. So that's kind of, it's an interesting thing because especially digital, closed down a lot of newspapers or there's not a lot of funding that goes into the local newspapers. But at the same time, where else are you going to get a chance at 16 years old to show what you can do in that kind of way? You know, you're not going to the New York Times for that. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, it was an amazing opportunity for me. And every time I talk to a young cartoonist, I still think of myself as a young cartoonist, but I'm 41 years old and I can't can't delude myself any longer. (laughs) I guess I'm old. But young cartoonists do reach out to me and first thing I tell them is, get with your local newspaper, man. That's how I got my start. Don't try and submit stuff to the New York Times or the Washington Post or even the big Metro Daily in your area. Go to a small town newspaper because nobody's going to be drawing cartoons about their local city council. Which is what I did as a 17, 16, 17, 18-year-old kid. I would go to these city council meetings and draw cartoons about the people on the city council. It terrified them. These city council people in Gross Point, Michigan, were just so scared of this 17-year-old kid with a sketchbook. It was immense power, and it was cool. And I, I tell young people to do that all the time. It's a great experience, and maybe it won't lead to a career in editorial cartooning like mine did, but it's a cool experience. Yes, and it's also a good chance to just build a body of work that's a weekly job and not like a daily job. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. So when you're going from there, and then somehow you just end up, I guess, building your body of work, you end up moving up. So now you're, you're doing a daily. Is it five days a week? Is it seven days a week? Or how often do you submit it? My job is not necessarily a daily gig because I have lots of duties to newspapers. So I usually draw between three and five editorial cartoons a week that are just pure political cartoons for the newspaper. But then I also do a weekly comic strip for the newspaper. I do a weekly caption contest for the newspaper. And I also edit all the letters to the editor that appear in the newspaper. So it's sort of a hybrid job. I think the world of the guy that comes in every morning, draws an editorial cartoon, is out on the golf course by 2 p.m. every day, which is the way the job used to work back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I don't think that job really exists anymore. So people that are drawing cartoons are often doing other things to make themselves valuable to a newspaper. So I have I have lots of things I do at the newspaper. In fact, some of my friends are like, why don't you just call yourself a cartoonist? Well, you do so many other things because I like being a cartoonist. Only because now you mentioned that. You said it was a, a weekly caption contest thing? Well, I guess it's a bi-weekly caption. So every two weeks we do the caption contest. So one week on Sundays, the empty caption appears in the newspaper. And then the following Sunday, there's the, the winners go in there with the caption. So you're the one who has to create the image for the caption? I create the image and then we get a couple hundred submissions. I go through them and send them out to my expert panel of editors and judges who go over them and pick the winners. Something like that, where you're mining your images from, just anywhere you just go out and just find something that could maybe be odd, but maybe it's kind of regular, and that's how you, you just randomly think of an idea. How do you do that? Uh, how do I do it? It has happened once or twice where I have a cartoon idea and I send it to my editor. I'm like, this is okay as a cartoon idea. I could also just leave the caption off of it 
and see what people say. That's sometimes what happens, but oftentimes it's just a chance to to let readers comment on a story in the news that I wasn't going to draw a cartoon about per se. So one of the big issues in Wisconsin that we've been dealing with is our Supreme Court has ruled that we can't have drop boxes anymore for election, for ballots. We used to be able to have like these secure things that were like mailboxes, but they were just for absentee ballots. I didn't draw a cartoon about it, but I was like, hey, this could be fun for a U-Tune. So I just had two kids walking by a ballot box that had an out-of-order sign on it and had the kids comment on it. And then readers decided what the kids said, which was kind of fun. I did some about the Beijing Olympics, people taking down Christmas lights in the freezing cold. Sometimes it's just kind of lighter issues that I wasn't going to draw a cartoon about, but I want to give people a chance to comment on an image. And, they, and people seem to enjoy it a lot. It's sort of fun. I don't know what I'm going to do this week. Are you usually pleasantly surprised by the submissions that come in of like, there's a lot of clever people out there. Cool. Yeah, I'm usually not unsurprised by it. There's okay. usually a couple that make me really chuckle and think, which is usually good. They don't always win. I don't pick the winners. I pick the finalists usually. But yeah, I'm usually pretty surprised by people. People are cleverer and smarter. And you know what I will say is that oftentimes their ideas are usually better than what I would come up with. Obviously, there's a difference between having to do one caption versus a daily caption or, you know, something more frequent. That's great. It's always fun when people are clever. (laughs) Yay! And then for your editorial cartoons, how much research do you either have to do about it or you just have to just keep your finger on the pulse, look at the news cycle, or how do you make sure that you've got, you know, that you're going to be ready to do an editorial cartoon? I do have to keep my finger on the pulse of the news cycle. I start every day by reading our newspaper, the Wisconsin State Journal, just to make sure that I'm reading, I'm consuming the same media that my audience is. One thing I don't do that a lot of people do, especially people that are political junkies, I don't really watch any cable TV news because I find it be drivel and horrible in general. It's a sensational, perpetual outrage factory. I don't like to be part of that. I listen to a lot of podcasts consume a lot of print media and, and a lot of news stories, but I don't watch a lot of cable television. People walk up and be like, did you hear about this latest scandal? And I'm like, no, that's not really news. That's just what MSNBC or Fox News is hyping up at the moment. It's not really an important big deal. So yeah, I, I try and stay with traditional legitimate media, as I like to call it. I do consume a lot, but I don't, I don't do cable news. I think you sort of answered this, but just to ask it, are there certain kinds of parameters for what, what you could submit for a cartoon? Or it could be anything. It's okay if it's totally not in line with what the newspaper is reporting on because it's editorial. What's that kind of like? Yeah, well, so I work at the opinion desk at the newspaper, which is completely separate from whatever the newspaper is reporting on and the stories they're doing. So we have an editorial board that forms the opinions of the newspaper. I'm on that board. And so people will often say, like, do your cartoons usually align with the viewpoint of the editorial board? And I would say usually yes, and that's because I'm a key member of the editorial board and I'm <laughs> what the editorial board thinks. We have two people, myself and my editor on the editorial board, and we have three members of the community on our editorial board who are incredibly awesome people and help us come up with our opinion. But I, I get to do a lot of framing of what the newspaper weighs in on. Before I was on, had that job, yes, I could occasionally disagree with the newspaper editorial stance, but now I rarely do since I'm helping set the newspaper's editorial stances. Yeah, well, yeah. Would it be very frequently or infrequently when you're submitting a, a cartoon, whatever sort of caption you have, how much does a picture have to be able to speak without the caption and how much is the caption just kind of there? It's kind of like a framework for what's going on and not just to like tell you what's going on. Does that make sense? I think I understand your question completely. And I think it always depends on the actual individual cartoon. There are some cartoons that are very word and caption heavy where 
it's a lot. It's about dialogue. It's about setting up a situation that's very textually based. And sometimes I do that. And then the image isn't particularly important. There are other times where I want to limit the text completely. Or maybe you have no text at all. And so the image really has to speak in those instances. But it's sort of based on the individual cartoon. I, I don't have a rule of thumb for everything broadly. I like to do a wide variety of, of cartoons. I mean, sometimes I'll do a cartoon that is just one big image making a statement very simply and powerfully. And sometimes I'll do a cartoon that's four, five, six, seven, eight panels with lots of dialogue and text as I set up a situation. So it depends on the image. Right, okay. When you're consuming the news to figure out the idea of what you're going to make an image of, is that whatever's going on today, I'm going to find a story that's going to give me more info to, to draw a cartoon about it, or like, I, I need an idea. Let's just listen to what's out there and see what, what hits me, or kind of both. I do both of those things. So there are some days where, you know, right now, I know I want to do a cartoon about what's going on in Ukraine, so I need to go read a whole bunch about what's going on in Ukraine so I can figure out the best way to illustrate what's going on, this horrible war, who's to blame, the heroism of the Ukrainian people, various different facets, and I decide sort of what to do after that. There are some days where an issue and a story hits me and it's just like, well, I got to do something about that. And the idea is instant as soon as you see the news. And at that point, you just sort of, you're shooting off and, and going in a, in a separate direction. Yeah, I think I do both those. Immediately react to something and then do a lot of research to try and figure out the best way to comment on a, on a difficult topic. The answer isn't yeah. yes or no, the answer is both. So because it's editorial and because you only have one image, right? It's not like a multi-panel thing that you're doing here that's going to relate. Usually. Sometimes it's multiple panels, but usually it's one image, yeah. Okay. Because it's one image that's got to strike the reader or the viewer somehow. Well, I guess for you specifically, are there certain elements that get exaggerated in the imagery? Kind of an example is like, you know, sometimes in like kids' books, the villain always has like a certain kind of look to them or often will have, and you know, right, oh, that's the villain because he's got the pointy teeth or he's got the long nose or the witch has the warts or something like that. So is there a parallel to that in editorial cartooning of something gets either size-wise gets exaggerated or within the features gets exaggerated so that way you know right away because you don't have time and space to be explaining certain parts? Yeah, I do a lot of caricature in my, in my images, so okay. I'm always exaggerating, especially politicians and, and political leaders, and oftentimes that caricature is based off of tropes and stereotypes, and so as I'm drawing Putin nowadays, he's always the villain in my cartoon. I'm thinking about how with something that's like snidely whiplash crossed with Vladimir Putin as I'm drawing him nowadays, and so yeah, we're always looking for those visual shortcuts to try and impart a little bit more opinion into the, the drawing, because just to make one point, separate of your question, something that a lot of people don't understand about editorial and political cartoons is that a lot of people seem to think they're just sort of funny drawings about things in the news, which they can be, but the real purpose is to share the cartoonist's opinion about topics. And okay. we do that in all sorts of ways. We do that with humor, and we do that with the words and the text, and we do that with our caricature. And so my caricatures of Joe Biden are different than my caricatures of Donald Trump were because I have different opinions about the two people. I'm accentuating different aspects of both characters because I'm trying to turn this politician, often this very respectable politician, into something that's sort of ludicrous in a cartoon character. Oftentimes, the goal of the cartoonist is to take this very dignified, respectable politician and turn him into a, a buffoon. And so that's sort of the joy of, of caricature and, and drawing political cartoons. Well, and also because it's not portraiture. So you're not going for the exact look of it, I guess, also. It's, it's not supposed to be an exact replica. That's true. Right. 
Just a, as a sort of a side question, because it's editorial, and I guess it's also, you could comment on this in the broader range of the whole editorial desk, just as a general idea, is there such a thing as retractions in editorial? Because it's automatically, this is opinion-based, and it's, I'm not presenting this as a news article, a fact-based. I'm just curious about it. Yeah, I don't have to correct my cartoon. Usually, if in an editorial that, that we help work on, we say something that's factually wrong, we will correct that after the fact. If it's something that is 100% factually wrong. If we say, I don't know, for instance, it rained on Tuesday and the sun was shining on Tuesday, we correct it after the fact and say, sorry, it wasn't raining on Tuesday, it was sunny. Now, I don't think I've ever had to do that in a cartoon. I've had people ask me to retract a cartoon. I'm not sure how to do that. It ran in the newspaper, which I can't make it not run in the newspaper after the fact. You know, they want me to take it offline sometimes, but even if you take something offline, which I don't want to do, I'm not going to do that, but even if you did, once it's on the internet, it lives forever. You, know, you can always find a way back to it, so, which is sort of silly, the idea that I'm going to take something offline. And I generally do work that I stand by. I don't think I've ever had to correct a cartoon. I fix typos in cartoons. That happens from time to yeah. time yeah. because I'm not a great speller and I've got sloppy grammar, but I haven't ever had to retract a cartoon. Yeah. And then just from a more technical standpoint, on an average, because I'm sure there's some that are faster and some that take a little bit longer, on an average, like how much time are you actually spending on the drawing of a cartoon? Not as much as I'd like to usually. Usually it's about an hour. Wow. That's namely a, a product of the fact that I've just got a lot to do. And I can sometimes spend, I would say average, I spend between one and two hours drawing a cartoon. Sometimes it takes me three or four hours of thinking about what I want to do before I have the cartoon the way I want it to be. It might only take me half an hour to draw it. Sometimes the idea hits me within seven seconds and it's instant, but I'll spend three or four hours working on the drawing, perfecting it. So there's a wide range there, but I would say generally from when I, my pencil hits the paper to when I'm done with it, it's usually between one and two hours. You said pencil hits the paper. Are you actually using pencil on paper or did you use that as a metaphor? Both. I do a lot of work digitally nowadays. When the pandemic struck, my, my drawing table and all of my drafting stuff is actually at the office of the newspaper. And so when the pandemic struck, I've had a laptop that I can draw on for the last couple of years. And I, I took that home with me and I thought I'd be taking it home for a week and drawing cartoons on that and then be back in the office. And that turned out to be most of 2020. I was doing that. So I do draw digitally often. In fact, I'm drawing digitally today. But yesterday's cartoon I drew with pencil and paper. So it depends on the image. It depends on the time that I have. Work with both mediums. I do pencil and paper and then I very old school like dip a, a brush in black India ink and then trace over my pencil work with the brush and have a nice little piece of art when it's all said and done. Do you have a preference for it, or you kind of found your way with both of them? I generally prefer doing it with pencil and paper. It's a more enjoyable experience for me in general, and I think the artwork has a more realistic feel to it because when you're drawing digitally, you can sort of instantly fix mistakes. You can zoom way in to get details. You can zoom way out to look at the, the final product, and so... You can almost make things a little bit too perfect, and I think that sort of ruins the artwork sometimes. I like the messiness of getting in there with pencil and paper, and then the sloppiness of a brush with ink that gives the cartoon a whole different feel and life to its own that I think digitally kind of saps that. And when I, when I draw digitally, I'm trying to sort of recreate what it looks like with pen and ink. I'm not always sure I like the way that turns out sometimes. So I think I do prefer the pencil and paper uh, technique. It's so funny that even with so many things that have gotten digital, there's still so many people who want the 
I guess you could say a more tangible experience, and they might just use the digital for the ease of it, but not because it's their preference. Yeah, there's a tactile experience. The feeling of the paper on your knuckles and the fact that my hand is covered with ink when I'm done with it. You don't get that experience with a stylus and a laptop. I often create videos recreating the cartoons, and you can see them on madison.com, the website for the Wisconsin State Journal. And you can see times where I'm drawing digitally, and sometimes I'm drawing analog or uh, with pencil and paper, and you can kind of follow along with both processes and see the different ways I work. Oh, cool. More rabbit hole for us. Yay. I'm not really sure how to phrase the question, but I just want to ask it just as a writer, even though I think you sort of touched on it. I do think there's a comparison, so I'm not even asking, is there a comparison, but how do you kind of either parallel or line up doing an editorial cartoon to actually tell the story? Is it like telling over an anecdote, would you say? Is it kind of like, I say framing a joke, but framing a parable? Do you see kind of parallels within that, or, or how would you describe that? The editorial cartoon is sort of very distilled. I'll use this as an example. When I was in college, and I didn't do this myself, but I had friends that were philosophy majors, and they did a lot of writing in the philosophy classes. One of the exercises they had was, okay, write a five-page paper. Okay, now make it a one-page paper. And trying to distill that, trying to distill what's important and what's key from that five-page paper to one page is an incredibly difficult task. And I think oftentimes the best editorial cartoons are taking that five-page paper and making it into a sentence with an image. You're trying to capture all of that about an issue, and then you're trying to make it funny. Right. <laughs> and you're trying to make a point, and you're trying to make it simple but broad at the same time. That's what you're trying to do with a really solid editorial cartoon. That's a really good explanation. So, and honestly, I do several editorial cartoons a week, and then one of my one of my prides and joy is my weekly comic strip that I do called Mendota Marsh in the Sunday newspapers, which is usually a three or four panel comic strip, and it's often about local issues going on in Madison or Wisconsin. It's character based, but the characters talk, mm -hmm. and so sometimes it's more I could have a dialogue and tell a story that way in that in that format of the comic strip that I can't do in, in the in a editorial cartoon. Oh, yeah. And so, for instance, I wanted to comment on people are debating how to redesign our bus system in Madison. We have a, a transit system, and there's plans to redesign it, and some people are upset about it. And it was a, a, an issue that I thought was kind of complicated to put into an editorial cartoon, but I did a, a, a comic strip about it that I think makes a really solid point. Right. So it gives you the more space there a little bit. A little bit, yeah. A little room to breathe and be conversational. Yeah. All because you mentioned it, you said you went to college. When you went to college, was it specifically for art? Was it specifically, did you know, really know at that point? Were you still kind of doing editorial cartoons? You found another local paper? Or you kind of went to college because like, let me just make sure this is what I want to do. Let me see what else is out there. Did you even need to necessarily go to college at that point? <laughs> I definitely knew I wanted to be a cartoonist in college. I drew cartoons for the student newspaper, political cartoons. So it's definitely something I wanted to do. I majored in both art and political science, which ended up being a pretty good combination for political cartooning. I actually went to a, a college called Kenyon College in Ohio, which is ironically the same college that Bill Watterson, who created Calvin Hobbes, went to. And so I had the same art professor that he did. I did not go to that school because <laughs> my idol had gone there, but it sort of worked out that way. So we shared an art professor, Martin Garhart was his name, and he's still an artist in Wyoming right now, I believe. And he taught me how to draw and would often comment that I was not as nearly as good as <laughs> Bill Watterson, which was completely true. Important to hear for a cocky 20-year-old who thinks he's a good cartoonist. So yeah, it was definitely something that I knew I wanted to do 
from that collegiate age. And then after college, I think I'm the most overeducated cartoonist in America. <laughs> I went and got a master's degree at University of Wisconsin after I got my bachelor's degree at Kenyon College. So as far as I know, I'm the only editorial cartoonist with a master's degree at something. Was there a reason that you went for the master's degree or just that was just felt right for you at the time? It felt right for me, yeah. Okay. I was I had kind of fallen in love with the community of Madison, Wisconsin. I was freelancing at the at the Wisconsin State Journal at the time. I was doing freelance cartooning there. So I was drawing like two or three editorial cartoons a week for the State Journal and then going to grad school at the same time. This was, you know, from 2005 to 2007. I really wanted to learn more about how media and journalism worked, and I didn't have a real strong basis of that. And at that point, I, could, I wasn't going to get another bachelor's degree, so then they had, a, they had a journalism master's program there. It was good and educational, and I learned a lot. I guess I'm qualified at some level to teach journalism at some point. <laughs> yeah. Would you say relatively, is the cartooning world, is it a smaller kind of world? Like a lot of cartoonists either know each other or know of each other? Or is it you don't realize how big the world of cartooning is kind of thing? I know most of the political cartoonists in this country. I've met right. them at, at some time or another. When it comes to the other realms of cartooning, I don't know them as well. Lee Rubin is sort of my closest contact to the outside of political cartooning world. I met some other comic strip artists in the past or gag cartoonists. At my last cartooning festival that I was at, this was pre-COVID, of course, in Columbus, Ohio, I ended up singing karaoke with a cartoonist named Rob Armstrong, who does the comic strip Jumpstart. Fun to just hang out with him. He idolized the strip growing up. I always loved Jumpstart. And it was cool to hang out with somebody who I wouldn't otherwise think I would hang out with. It's sort of a brother and sister. There's a camaraderie of cartoonists. Lots of women cartoonists now, too. A lot more than there used to be, thank goodness. But there is this camaraderie amongst us, and we're sort of soldiers together in the trenches of cartooning. There's a lot of mutual respect. Oh, cool. And then just ask quickly before we're going to wrap up. As a writer, I write for mainly young adults, and sometimes young adult authors are not like, oh, you're not a real writer until you've written adult fiction. When you tell someone that you're an editorial cartoonist, are they like, oh, you draw all day? Or are they like, wow, that's so cool. What a job to have, sort of thing. Kind of both, or what sort of reaction do you get to that? I have gotten the response of, really, you just draw all day um, from people, but that's pretty rare. I'm flattered when people say, wow, how do you do that? It's so impressive. It's yeah. so amazing to be creative like that. When your job is to be creative, you learn how to do it. But I, I definitely have had both reactions, but most of it is people are usually relatively impressed when they meet me, unless they know me. <laughs> like, my friends are not impressed with me. That's for darn sure. That's fair. Well, I always wrap up with this kind of fill in the blank. And you can use any one of these. And it can be your soapbox answer, your off-the-cuff kind of answer. I really like it when editors, cartoonists, stories, books, illustrators, writers, you know, anything that's kind of storytelling related does X. And I really don't like it when they do X. How would you kind of answer that? I like reading opinion pieces I don't agree with in newspapers. I think that's really neat. And to see a perspective that I haven't thought about before, and that's the best part of reading a newspaper to me, is having my worldview challenged by somebody who's really smart and knows what they're talking about. I think that's one of the best things that newspapers provide. One of the worst things that I see, and I'm seeing it more and more in media nowadays, I am not a conservative person, but I am noticing more and more of a liberal slant in just general reporting in the media. That worries me and concerns me because I think an independent and fact-based media is really just essential to our democracy. And letting your personal opinions taint your stories one way or another just sort of cheapens 
the whole what what is this really respected profession of journalism? Yeah. Well, just to ask, just one follow up on that. Do you think it's better or like the lesser of two evils when you know from the outset if someone has a slant? I know that they're, because they're coming from this angle, their stories are going to be framed with this angle versus like, oh, what I say is truth. And then you got to know by yourself or do digging to find out if there's a slant to it. Yeah, I'm a big fan of opinion journalism because they tell you flat out up front, this is a point of view. Right, okay. And it's going to be fact-based and you might not agree with it. And I think that's great. I think that's awesome. I think it's dangerous when people say, pretend that their point of view is the way the world is. And that their point of view is not in some way a point of view and that it's, and that it's reality-based straight journalism. I think that's dangerous. Yeah. Very good. Phil, thank you so much for, for being on the podcast today. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. This was a bonus episode of Oh My Word podcast featuring editorial cartoonist Phil Hens. To find out more about Phil and his work, please check out the link in the episode notes. To find out more about Omar Word Podcast and to keep track of all the great stuff we're up to, please follow us on Instagram at Omar Word Podcast. Check us out at el Music is by Tim Burke. Thank you so much for joining us. Catch you next time.